Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. Thank you, Lord, for Todd. Anoint him, Father God. Without the anointing, they're just words spoken. But with your anointing, they find a place in our hearts. Father God, fan the flame in all of our hearts as we hear the word of God and about the Jesus we love through this man of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the Gathering Place. And for those popping in on the podcast, thank you for tuning in. So uh, this week we are starting and we're finishing a series on Philemon. Because, you know, there's only like 24 verses. So the whole series today, bam, and then we'll do something else next week. Um, <laughs> so Philemon's uh, one of those little bitty books. It's kind of like Jude and Third John. They're just really, really small. And uh, in Philemon, it's, it's a personal letter that Paul's writing to one other person. We believe that he was probably at uh, Colossae, you know, where Paul wrote the letter to the Col- uh, uh, Colossians. And he probably rolled this up in with it and, and had it go straight to Philemon. <clears throat> so in today's cultural climate, it's easy to look at people that are engaging in destructive behavior and harming others, destroying property, and livelihoods, and to think, there's no hope for them. They're lost and, and they're beyond hope. They've, they've gone down a, a trail of destruction and there's no coming back. It's easy to think that. And a lot of them probably won't come back. But we can't afford to discard, discard the, uh, the grace of God and uh, the work of God in people. Because Scripture is full of accounts of people regarded as beyond hope. Or they have no chance of redemption. And yet they receive a transformative encounter with God. Today's message is about one of those encounters and the following next steps. Because, you know, maybe you're on a path of destruction and you do have this God encounter, and the question is, what's next? Right? What next? And so, it's one thing to be saved by the grace of God, but when the dust settles, we ask that question, now what? Well, today we're going to look at the now what in the life of uh, a person named Onesimus, which uh, was a runaway slave from Philemon um, in the city of Colossi. Um, Colossi. And he ran into Paul as he's fleeing. Somehow he crosses paths with the Apostle Paul in the process, has an encounter with Jesus, and then the question is, like, what do we do? Like, I ran away from Philemon, who's a believer, who basically owes his salvation to Paul preaching a message, and I ran into Paul. So, like, what's next? Do I go back to Philemon, right? Do I stay with Paul? Do I remain a, a, a refuge? Uh, refugee. So Philemon has this what, what now thing that he has to deal with. So during that, Onesimus um, has this amazing assist with Paul. Paul gives him guidance on this. And Paul basically writes him a letter of recommendation back to Philemon. And uh, can you imagine getting a letter of recommendation written by one of the apostles? Like, 
I know, like, back then, like, we didn't know Paul was going to write two-thirds of the New Testament, but Paul was, like, the man in terms of Christianity in uh, the non-Jewish arena. To have the man write a letter on your behalf to somebody, got to have a little bit of weight. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to look through uh, the letter of Philemon. just going to read through it because it's only 20 verses, 22 verses. And we're going to break down some things that, uh, that it talks about. We're starting with verse 1. Now I'm going to start with the greetings. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with him, uh, with us in the faith, may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me joy and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although... In Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that I could, so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you would do, you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. And then he ended up, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, send you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, pretty short letter. And uh, we can see that a lot of stuff's going on here, right? Anesimus ran away from Philemon. Philemon was uh, probably a wealthy Roman in Colossae, right? Uh, becomes a Christian. We don't know what the household dynamic is. But he's got a couple of other people in the household uh, that Paul greets. Um, namely... Um, Aphia and Archippus, so that might be part of the family. 
but Onesimus runs away for uh, whatever reason. Funny side notes, when I became a teenager and was reading the Bible, nobody taught me how to read the Bible. And, you know, some of those names are just, how do you pronounce those names, right? I mean, you get through those lists in the Old Testament, and you're like, how do you, how do you say that name? And I used to call Onesimus Onesimus. <coughs> Own, because uh, in, in my understanding of grammar, if you have a word, and you put an E at the end of it, whatever vowel is in the middle becomes long, right? So an A for O would become O, so it's like O and Simus, and E is usually silent. I don't know where they got the I from for O and Simus, but you know, until somebody, one of my mentors later on was like, oh, it's, it's Onesimus. Like, oh, oh, okay, that's fine, Onesimus. Um, so Onesimus runs away, bumps into Paul, and becomes a believer in the process, becomes a really big aid to Paul, especially in his in chains. And, uh, and Paul just really falls in love, you know, with, with Onesimus as, as just this son in the faith. But to do the right thing, he has to go back to Philemon. Because it's the, the honorable thing to do is um, to bring restoration to broken relationships as much as possible. And even though we don't, like, follow the whole slave thing, um, anymore. And back then, slavery was a little bit different. Um, it was most likely a, um, he was a prisoner of war or something, and uh, he got purchased. But he also kind of had a little bit of a social class where most of what we associate with slavery had nothing, looked nothing like Roman slavery. But he was under the, under the authority of Philemon, or Philemon, whatever you want to say. So, the proper thing to do is to recognize that authority structure and let the grace of God do a transformation through that. And so that was, that was Paul's advice to Onesimus. So being Onesimus, this has got to be a very daunting situation. Um, and we'll get into a little bit of the history, but things were a little... People got triggered by... Um, disobedient slaves in this era because of uh, some of the recent history that they had experienced, and we'll talk about that in a bit. So if you were a rebellious slave, it didn't look good in the eyes of society. Um, it was kind of a, a scarlet letter, if you will. So Onesimus has to be sent back, you know, to Philemon. But Paul writes this very personal letter in his own hand. I mean, like, you find out that, like, most of the stuff that Paul writes in, in the New Testament... He had a scribe, one of the fellow brothers, was writing for him. Um, some believe Paul had like an eye condition, and so he didn't have really the best handwriting, he couldn't always see as well. So he, he typically had a scribe, and he would dictate to them. Here, he writes his own letter. It's like, it's in my hand, Philemon, I'm writing this. So he's making a solid appeal to Philemon for Onesimus. So I... Onesimus is, is in a really daunting situation. I can only imagine what kind of like dread he's facing because it might not go well when he gets back to Philemon. It, I, mean, like, I mean, like Philemon is his master, right? That might not go well. And then on the flip side, Philemon is being encouraged by his spiritual authority to basically lay down his rights as a master in a lot of ways from somebody who has disrespected his authority who has uh, shirked his position, who has been rebellious, and now he's getting a letter regarding this rebellious person that kind of needs to be put in their place, in his eyes. He's getting a letter from his spiritual authority saying, 
yeah, we need to do this a little bit differently. And you need to lay down those rights. And, you know, and Paul, he, he drops the, some phrases and he's like, I could make you do this, right? I could pull rank and force the issue, but I would rather you own this issue and do what's right in the sight of the Lord, right? I could make this happen. I think Paul even realizes, like, that would be a level of spiritual abuse to force something like that to happen. It could. He's in a position to do it. And Lord knows how many people in authority like to pull abuses in their positions. Paul is empowering Philemon with an exhortation to do the right thing. So uh, history kind of mets itself out that Philemon does end up doing the right thing. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But can you imagine, Onesimus comes back, probably with a small entourage of believers, because he usually traveled in groups, and they hand the letter to Philemon. Philemon's like, Onesimus, you know, like, go to your room, you know, kind of a thing. He reads this letter, and like, what kind of emotions he has to process through, right? Because this ancient world, like, honor has a higher value than kind of what we have in America. Like, oh, my honor was... was be smirched. Like, for the most part, we're just like, who cares? You know, in America, we're like, you know, pick yourself up, go do your thing. Back then, having your honor marked against was a big infraction. And so here, he's having to deal with his honor being besmirched and his spiritual authority saying, no retribution, right? And so Philemon's probably working through some of his like cultural and attitude issues in this process as well. So it's not easy. Like, how many times do we get frustrated or offended by somebody and the last thing we want to do is reconcile with them. The last thing we want to do is to say, I forgive you. Right? We want to hold on to that. That's my right to be offended. I mean, like, we might not even say that, but we, the fact that we have a struggle, a hard time offering forgiveness says that we want to hold on to a right that it's not best for us, but it's my right, by golly. I'm going to hold on to it. Now, on the flip side, who wants to be in a position where we have to humble ourselves and to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Like, that goes against everything in our nature. We don't want to do that. And here we have two people, Onesimus and Philemon, who are called to do exactly that. For Onesimus, the rebel, the refugee, the runaway the disobedient, to come back to his master and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And to basically put himself at the mercy of his master. And on the other side, you've got a master that really has to wrestle through this idea of saying, I forgive you, and I will elevate you to the level of brother. That doesn't happen naturally. And that doesn't happen because we want it to happen. This has to be a God thing. I mean, like, for that to even happen. And so Paul, I mean, like, Paul, and Paul realizes this, right? So he's facilitating. Here's the end goal. You seek forgiveness. You offer forgiveness. You be restored as brothers. That's the end goal, people. How are you going to make that happen, right? And they got to wrestle through that because Paul's not even going with Onesimus. Paul's in chains probably in, in Rome or one of those areas, and so he's got to deal with this. But Paul says, hey, 
we got to do this. Okay, so that's that's the that's the dynamic, right? That's the dynamic. So we're going to pull out four four major points here. Uh, the first one is Paul. He he talks about how Philemon has been just he's got a reputation for being a man of God, for being a man of faith who loves the saints. And so what Paul is doing is he is pointing out to Philemon the power that comes from walking the walk. It's one thing for me to stand up here and preach a message. It's another thing for me to live the message at home, at work. When I'm standing in a checkout and somebody can't figure out the self-checkout thing and it's taking forever and I got stuck behind that, right? I mean, like, these are real things that happen in life. The power happens behind the scenes, right? We're actually living the life. We're walking the life. And Paul is telling Philemon, I know you're walking the walk. Like, there is testimony from other people, right? Because Proverbs says, don't let praise come from your own lips. Let it come from another's lips. There's testimony from another's lips that you love God's people. People are testifying that. To you, Philemon, they are saying, you love God's people, and I've seen it firsthand. So he's really establishing Philemon's like reputation as being a godly man. He then goes on to say that the righteous deeds, like Philemon has been known to carry out, it brings joy to fellow believers. So, just Philemon doing the right things, being a man who loves God and loves God's people, does righteous deeds and it brings joy to those around him. It brings joy to the other believers. Righteous deeds. Like, best example in my life as a righteous deed is uh, some of you gentlemen that came over to help me build a playhouse, right? Like, we spent in total probably 20 or 25 hours trying to build this playhouse, right? The instruction said it should take five. I don't know where they got that from, but that's a whole other thing. But the joy that comes from that, I mean, like, one, the fellowship, right? Uh, Justin and Wayne, they helped out on this. The fellowship, Michael helped out on this. The fellowship, like, we got to spend 25 hours together. Isn't that awesome? Hanging out, putting something together, you know? That was good. That was awesome. I know Cal, he's, he's not here, but he was part of that. Fine was part of that. So we had this time together, and it wasn't just just that, right? There, there was that joy of being in fellowship. And then the day that it's done and the kids get to come out and play on it, and just how happy they were. You know, they, they've seen Wayne every once in a while and, and they see Wayne in a new light now, right? Like he's not just like this okay. guy, that, the old guy that just kind of shows up at church. And, <laughs> but like they see that Wayne, you know, and, and Justin and Michael, they put their sweat into building a playhouse that they get to enjoy, right? Righteous deeds bring joy to fellow believers. Right now I'm referring to my kids as fellow believers because right now they, all they know is that you got to love Jesus. So they haven't learned the rebellion part yet. So, um, But it brings joy when you do something for the benefit of somebody else. And Paul's saying, Philemon, your righteous joy brings, your righteous deeds bring joy to the believers around you. And it blesses them and it encourages them. And that's so true across the board. When you do righteous deeds toward other people, it blesses and encourages them. So Paul's saying, Philemon, you've got the reputation because you're walking the walk. 
some ways you could say he's kind of building him up for, for the big ask here that's coming. But he's like, Philemon, you're a man of character, and we know that. So then he makes the shift. This is starting in verse 8. He gives some context. He's like, yeah, I'm writing to you about Onesimus. Let me tell you about Onesimus. He was a useless, rebellious slave who ran away from you. However, since he's run away from you, Onesimus has become a spiritual son to me. And so, Paul goes on to say, Onesimus has been extremely dedicated to me. He's been very helpful. He's been of service. He's been of use. He's helped me when I've been in chains. Like He has been nothing more than nothing less than a beloved son who takes care of his spiritual father. Hmm. And he says, I want to keep him around. Like all, Some of these other believers that have followed me, as soon as they put the chains on me, they fled. They ran away. You can read that in some of the other letters. Like so-and-so, they, 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 just, they, drew, they dropped me like a hot potato when things got tough. And Nesmus has stood, stood by me. He's been there. He's been helpful. And I want to keep him around. However, Philemon... You are his immediate authority structure. He, you're the authority figure. And I want to respect your position. I want you to be able to do the right thing. Like I said, he said, I could pull rank. Like, I could make you do what I want you to do. But he doesn't. He doesn't resort to spiritual authority uh, or spiritual abuse. What he does is he puts it in Philemon's court gives him his recommendation. You really should restore this guy as a brother. He's very useful. He's been useful for me. And in doing that, even though Philemon has to wrestle through this, Paul is empowering Philemon to do the godly thing. Okay, it's one thing to force somebody to do the right thing, right? Like, like with our kids, one of them hits the other one, we take them and we set them in front of them. We say, you got to look at them. you got to say, I'm sorry for hitting you. Like, I make them do that. I have to build that practice, right? And the other one has to say, I forgive you, right? That's, that's childhoodering, right? When you get into the adult world, it doesn't always happen that way. I mean, like, how many times do you get, like, somebody that just quietly sees on it and they don't actually forgive and bitterness happens? I mean, like... All the mess that we have in the world today is due to us not really wanting to do the right thing. We want to hold on to our rights. <clears throat> so, Paul's saying, it's your place to make that decision, but this is what I'm recommending you do because this is the Jesus thing to do. And then Paul goes on to say, like, you know, Onesimus might have, he might have stolen some stuff from you. He might have uh, cheated you out of some of that labor, like, but Paul then says, I'm prepared to compensate you for the losses you've incurred because of Philemon, or because of Onesimus. <coughs> like, whatever he's done, I will repay it. Now, wouldn't that be something? Say that, you know, I've got an employee at, you know, at work that, that, that's under me, and they get frustrated, and they steal from me, and they run away. They bump into Byron. And they get saved. And then Byron comes to me and says, whatever they've stolen from you, I'll pay it back. Like, that's kind of what we're looking at, right? Is like, 
I will pay you back whatever they've taken from you, whatever they've cheated you out of, to make right, because they're getting their life right in the eyes of God. So Paul is like putting himself in this position of, like, I will surrender whatever it needs to, to satisfy your sense of justification or sense of, of justice. Paul's prepared to do that. But then he says, if you consider me a partner in the ministry for the kingdom of heaven, you should also consider Onesimus a partner. Not a slave, not an employee, not a peon, not an expendable, a partner. I'm a partner, you need to consider Onesimus a partner. But, but then Paul remind, reminds him, like, but remember, you, Philemon, you owe me your life. Because you wouldn't have this grace of God if it hadn't been for me being there and preaching the gospel and sitting there and mentoring you and bringing you to that place. You owe me as much as Onesimus owes you. right? So Paul's he's dropping it in there. So he says, factor that in when you receive back your runaway slave. How much do you owe me versus how much does Onesimus owe you, right? A silver candlestick versus life? Come on. Let's, let's do the math there. So then Paul resounds to Philemon that he's regularly exhibited the heart of God. He's like, you and your dealings have been very consistent with playing out the heart of God across all the saints. So remember that when it comes to dealing with Onesimus. <clears throat> and in a way, so Paul is talking to Philemon, and saying Onesimus has offended you. Onesimus has robbed from you. Onesimus has stolen from you. And you're wanting a retribution to happen. It's your right for a retribution to happen to Onesimus. And Paul is saying, in a way, I will pay for the retribution. I will pay for the theft. I will pay for the loss. I will compensate you for everything that you've lost. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did between us and the Father? With the Father's there and he says, you have rebelled against me. And you have stolen from me. And you have robbed me. And you have fled from me. And you have shirked my authority. And Jesus comes onto the scene and says, whatever they've robbed from you, whatever they've besmirched against you, whatever they've rebelled against you, take it out on me. So Paul dealing with Philemon, is standing in a place where he is imitating Jesus as a substitutionary atonement, to use our theologically loaded words, in place of Onesimus. So Paul is saying, I will atone for Onesimus. And remember the gospel, that Jesus atoned for you, Philemon. And Jesus atoned for me in the eyes of God the Father, who demanded retribution. So if you're playing the God figure demanding retribution, then I'm playing the Jesus figure, standing in the gap between you and Onesimus. Kind of takes on a different weight when you look at it that way. It's not just a petition now, right, of just let the guy 
have a second chance. It's we're talking. Let's live out this atonement thing in the flesh. Let's be like Jesus. So what happens to Onesimus? We don't know the immediate details. We don't know if he resumed being a slave for a bit or whatever, because we don't have any record of that. What we do have a record of is that many early church fathers attest to, um, after the passing of Timothy, Timothy was the overseer or the bishop of um, Ephesus, his successor's name was Onesimus. There was a bishop Onesimus who oversaw the entire church in Ephesus right after Timothy's passing. But if you remember, at the very beginning of Paul's letter, he's like, Paul, a fellow prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. So we're in the same generation. This isn't like 150 years later. Like, Onesimus and Timothy are in the same, like, holding cell with Paul visiting him. And here we have, right after Timothy is no longer the bishop or the overseer of Ephesus, Onesimus becomes the bishop. So at some point, Onesimus goes from being a runaway slave to becoming a believer to being returned back to Philemon and then ends up as a bishop over a region in the church. And not just a region, one of the seven regions that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. So, not a small thing. So going from being a slave to being a spiritual ruler or spiritual authority, if you think about it for a moment, kind of has a Joseph vibe to it, doesn't it? Because <coughs> didn't Joseph end up being a... Uh, um, uh, beaten down slave to the Ishmaelites, thrown in prison. Nesmus is in prison with Paul, right? And then set up to a position of authority. So it's almost like Nesmus, without even trying, ends up mirroring in some ways the life of Joseph in the Old Testament because of God's grace. Going from the pits and going to from the, the least regarded position, station in society to being an esteemed ruler within the church. Now, that's a pretty amazing thing to happen. Here's a little bit of social context that kind of adds a little bit more onus to Philemon being in a rough situation. In roughly 73 to 71 BC, so we're talking 40 years, not even 100 years before this happening, there's this thing in the ancient world known as the Servile Wars. You guys, anybody remember that from history class years ago? The Servile Wars? Yeah, most people don't. I'm a history guy, so I geek out on this stuff. Okay, so we haven't heard that. Have we heard of the name Spartacus? Who was Spartacus? He was a gladiator. Gladiators are slaves. What do they do? What, what does Spartacus do? They revolted. They revolted. So, so all of these slaves who basically were sent into the Colosseum for everybody's sport and entertainment used their fighting skills to escape their masters, had a small army, and then they set up like a little safe haven 
where other escaped slaves then started coming through. It's almost like the ancient Romans underground railroad kind of thing going on. And they beat back the Roman army like six or seven times. Like, it took uh, Crassus, one of the guys that kind of ruled with Julius Caesar and Mark, uh, Mark not a Mark Anthony, uh, the one before him, Pompey the Great. Yeah, Pompey the Great, Caesar, and Crassus. Crassus' army had to take 20 legions. You guys remember how many is in a legion? 2,000? 20 legions, right? 40,000 troops to put down the Spartacus Revolt. This is less than a generation away from that. So what do you think a Roman citizen's view on disobedient slaves is? That's in the context, right? And so Onesimus is what? A runaway slave in a culture that doesn't look too kindly on rebellious runaway slaves. And here he's coming back to his master with a little piece of parchment written by Paul saying, forget about all that. We're in the kingdom of heaven. This is a new way of doing things. But Philemon, you've got your rights. It's your choice if you're going to lay that right down or if you're going to insist on it. Here's my piece of paper. But Philemon had to risk wrestle through that. Had to deal with how do you live consistently in faith in Jesus when you live in a society that demands certain points for retribution? How do you do that? And that's what this came down to. But we do know that Onesimus did become a bishop with it less than 100 years after this. So God really did a work in this little slave named Onesimus. And Paul was given a prime opportunity to kind of embody what Jesus did for mankind on a smaller scale for Onesimus. I will stand in the gap. I will be the recipient of your retribution on behalf of Onesimus. Only, you know, if you treat him as a brother. Right? If you treat him as a partner. So what are we going to take home from this? <clears throat> We're wrapping it up here in the conclusion. <coughs> that one, the power comes in walking the walk. It doesn't come in the words. It doesn't come in the emotions. We're charismatic. We love the power of the Spirit and all these spiritual gifts. The power happens by walking the walk. And what do we do to walk in the walk? Love. Right, right, Juan? Love for God, love for God's people. Fulfilling the two greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You do all that. And like Jesus says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We could also possibly extend it to say, and all the gifts of the Spirit hang on these as well. Because if there's no love, what, is, what does Paul say the prophecy is if there's no love? I'm just a clanging cymbal. Just a gong that makes a bunch of noise. Love, love, love. And Paul is bringing that down. Philemon walked the walk. He loved God. He loved God's people. And so likewise with us. When we walk the walk, that's where the power comes. 
and that means somebody offends us, we have a right to take up an offense. But walking in love means laying down that right. And I'm exercising kingdom terms. I'm exercising kingdom living by not demanding my selfish rights, but pursuing the kingdom of heaven more than anything else. It could be legal rights that we need to lay down. It could be spiritual rights. It could be the rights to unforgiveness that we need to lay down. It could be the right to handle my stress in whatever unhealthy outlet there is, be it drugs or alcohol or name any other thing. I lay down that right because the kingdom of heaven is more important than me. I lay down that right because I love God and I love people. <clears throat> and to be able to have that right requires your ability to exercise it. So if we're talking like, like Philemon could have like physically had Onesimus executed. Like he had the authority in Rome to do that. So laying that down. And um, I don't know if you guys follow Jordan Peterson or not. A lot of people don't like him because he's a secularist, but he talks about Bible stuff. But he's, he's got some good stuff. Um, and I liked his definition of the word meek when you look at the meek will inherit the earth. He didn't say meek are the, are the people that are low on themselves and they beat themselves up and that they, they, never, they never have confidence. He said, he, he said that the best analogy for being meek is being a soldier who really, really knows how to use their sword and then choosing not to use it. So you could be dangerous. You could be a threat to be reckoned with. And you choose not to because it's, it's a greater way of doing things. Like Those are the people. It's the peacemakers, right? The ones that could make war but choose not to that are meek and are peacemakers that will inherit the earth, that will see God. Because it's not the weak. It's not the weak, being the weak-willed, right, that will see God. It's not the people who don't know how to do the right thing. It's the people that boldly do the right thing being defined by the kingdom of heaven. Because the weak-willed and the cowards, well, you can read Revelation and find out where they end up. Because um, it's not in a good place. But Philemon has the ability to wield the sword. He has the strength to do it. And Paul's saying, Philemon, be meek. Sheathe that sword and find a better way. Find the kingdom way with Onesimus. So, powers in walking the walk. Sometimes walking that walk requires sacrifices in areas that we'd rather not sacrifice. Paul's telling the Philemon, don't demand back whatever Onesimus stole from you. If you need something back, call me. I'll pay it back. Don't demand the retribution. Don't demand the Roman rule for disobedient slaves, right? It's all in your rights to do that. I'm asking you to sacrifice that for the sake of the kingdom because Onesimus is now a brother not a slave. And then finally, with Onesimus, we can say that no one is beyond the reach of God's redemption. Like, we can't ever write somebody off. I used to like to say, like, nobody's beyond God's redemption until they take their last breath. So there's always a hope that Jesus will intervene. 
Um, that doesn't mean that I will beat my head against the wall from somebody who's persistently not going to, but I think it was, might have been Byron that, that mentioned this. It's like you can pursue somebody with a kingdom, with a gospel. At some point, that resistance might wear you down. And at some point, when you go to the Lord, it's okay to be like, okay, I'm going to step back, but God, you've got an army out there that's inexhaustible. I'm just one man. Because it's not about us sealing the deal, right? It's not about us getting somebody to pray the prayer. It's about us being faithful to God, faithful with the gospel. You know what Paul said? I planted and Barnabas watered. And who made the increase? God, right? Paul didn't do everything from start to finish. Barnabas didn't do everything from start to finish. It's not our job to do everything from start to finish. Somebody might get saved under me and then God whisks them away to somebody else to be a disciple. You know what? God's doing God's work. And I've got to be okay with what he calls me to do in it. And I don't need to do more to try to impress God. He just wants me to be faithful with what I've got. And so, you know, uh, as you know, Shannon, when, when she first realized that she was going to go into um, like counseling and social work and things like that, one of her uh, assistant pastors at the time and I love this analogy. He goes, all right, Shannon, that's a great thing, and it's a lot of hard work to do, and you're going to be dealing with a lot of hard people. But I want you to do one thing. Look at your wrists. Okay? He goes, are there holes in those wrists? No. That means Jesus died for them, not you. It's not your job to save them. So knowing your role, even as a counselor, is extremely important because God has a work to do. And so Paul understood that. And so he made his petition to Philemon, but then he said, God's got a work to do inside of Philemon. I'm not pulling rank. I'm not making this happen. I'm letting the grace of God happen through Philemon. So that's it. That's Philemon, and those are our take-homes for that, so that there's power in walking in the walk. We might need to sacrifice to walk in that walk in ways that we don't want to, but we'll need to. And nobody is beyond the scope of God's redemption. So dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. And thank you that even with a little bitty letter to one man who loved you in the ancient world, that you can speak so much about who you are and what your character is. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in our hearts, let us draw closer to you, and let us take this message and understand it and a depth that your Holy Spirit can reveal to us so that we can live out this walk with you in our everyday lives and let people be affected positively for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you are blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of the Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.